It's a beautiful day. It's a little warm outside, but it's nice and cool in here, and so I'm glad that you're here with us today. Like Mandy said, my name is Gino Allison. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome you all to the South Suburban Vineyard Church. Special welcome to anybody who's visiting with us for the very first time. I see some new faces today, and you could be anywhere in the world today, right, at this very moment, but you chose to be here with us, and so that's deeply meaningful to us. Also, welcome to anybody who is... Uh, Uh, listening to us through our website or through our podcast, you're also welcome to come and worship with us here on Sunday morning. Real quick note about this uh, Friday uh, coming up. Listen, you're going to want to get here at 7 o'clock for the scavenger hunt. We're not on any variation of Central Standard Time. And so some of you know who I'm talking to, right? If you get here later than 7 o'clock, you're not going to understand the rules. You're going to, you know, it's it's just going to make things raggedy. So please get here 7 o'clock Central Standard Time. We're going to have a real good time. Well, if you came here and didn't know what was going on today, you see this huge horse trough in the middle of the room, and you might think that you maybe wandered into the wrong place. No, you're in the right place. It just so happens that today here at SSV is Baptism Sunday. Amen. And so we get really excited about Baptism Sunday mainly because Just about everything that we do here, every dime that we spend, every minute that we spend in this place, every ounce of our time and human resource points toward helping people uh, come into the family of Jesus Christ, helping people understand who Jesus is and what his expectation is for their life. And so when people come into the family of Jesus Christ, and many times they come through our church, um, that's a joyous celebration. And for those of you who understand Scripture, you know this isn't just like something that we just decided to do. This is like deeply scriptural. This is one of the greatest practices that we um, participate in uh, in in, in church history is baptizing those new believers, those who have decided within their heart that they're going to follow Jesus. And so this is just an outward display of what they've already done in their heart. So through baptism, them going under the water... They're identifying with Christ's death and suffering on the cross. Uh, This submersion and, uh, you know, coming out of the water is symbolic of them sort of dying to themselves and being raised again to new life. And plus, it's just a public display. We call this, you know, people going public with their faith. We're doing this in front of our family and our friends. We're coming out of the closet, as it were, to say that I want to follow Jesus and I want everybody to know it. And so because this is such a joyous occasion, we invite family, we invite friends, we have a ruckus celebration, and we even invite our young people in today because we have at least one young person uh, who's dedicating their life to Jesus. So this is cause to celebrate. Amen? And so we celebrate uh, um, around this occasion because we feel like life with Jesus is the best life. And so you may be living an okay life, right? But when you come into the family of faith, we celebrate because we believe that Christians have the best life. At least they should. Uh, We feel like Christians are more triumphant. They have a better outlook on life. At least they should. In fact, we say that Christians should be living what we call the good life. And Jordan did a fantastic job last week of talking to us about this good life And one thing that you understand when we talk about the good life is that we've had to sort of reclaim that phrase from the world. Uh, Secular people, when you talk about the good life, maybe they might picture a hammock, somebody swinging in the breeze, maybe making it rain somewhere, lots of money, you know, maybe sprinkling some celebrity status. People love you and clamoring to get your attention and your affection. 
a life of ease and opulence and wealth. That's perhaps what the world might think of when we say good life. But when we say good life, we mean something totally different. My simple definition for the good life, and the life particularly as it relates to the life of a Christian, the good life is simply a life that works. The good life is a life that works, and it's a life that works specifically according to the designer's plans. And in our case, the designer is none other than creator God, our creator and father. I love this passage of scripture in Psalm uh, chapter 139. The psalmist says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture because the psalmist paints a picture of God just really having intentionality and an intentional design for our life. I'm so grateful that God didn't just roll the dice with my life or just reach into his mysterious bag of lives and say, well, what am I going to make, Gino? Let's just see what we have left over. What do we have just thrown in the corner? That's what his life will be like. No, this, this passage tells us that God put some thought into this. He was intentional about where he placed me, the parents that he gave me, the skill set that he gave me, because he had something very specific for me to do. And so what I found is that my life just works when I'm using it for what God made me to do. I've used this illustration before, but I have this podium here, this music stand. It's kind of like a lectern. I could use this thing to do anything with it. I guess I could prop open the door with it. If one of you came charging at me, maybe I'd just throw it at you real quick, get my, buy myself some time. I could do this, a whole bunch of stuff with this, but when I'm using this thing right here to hold my papers, when I'm using it maybe to conduct some music, when I'm using it for what the designer designed this thing to do, there's nothing in the world that can beat this at being this. And the same is true for your life. When you use your life for what God made you to use your life for, your life just works in a way that it doesn't work if you're trying to do something else. And so God has given us all this general purpose to love God and to love others. We've talked about that weekly, right? But God has also put special gifts, talents, giving you a special assignment, and there's a functionality to your life when you use your life to do that. Friends, this is what we call the good life. It's not about money. It's not about cars. It's not about fame. It's about you finding out and working towards what God has made you to be. And the Bible talks about this a lot. Um, Jesus talks about this a lot, especially in the gospel. It gives us a lot of wisdom, a lot of insight as to how we're supposed to work this out. Lots of instruction about how we're supposed to live this life. And some of you might say, okay, what all this stuff that Jesus says, what do I do with that? I'm glad you're here on Baptism Sunday because I'm going to give you about four secrets this morning to living the good life. They're really poorly hid secrets because they're right in plain view in the Scriptures. But for those of you who are wondering what this good life is all about, for those of you who are wondering what our baptism candidates have signed up for, what they're engaging today, You've come on a good Sunday because I'm going to talk to you about how we engage, how we live this good life. Now, let me say this to you also, that there are uh, at least three people who have planned to be baptized today, and that's really awesome, and that's really great. 
But what we do at, uh, at South Suburban Vineyard Church is that we say, hey, if you're here today, even if you didn't plan to be baptized, you hear the gospel for the first time, or something strikes you in a way where you want to make a decision to follow Jesus, and you, too, you yourself want to be baptized today, right behind this wall here, we bought a bunch of extra clothes, a bunch of extra tiles, and so if you feel moved today to take that step and to go public with your faith, we will welcome that, and we will celebrate that here today. So I'm just going to have Ramon, would you just raise your hand right here? Ramon, right here, if you would like to be baptized today, uh, at the end of this service, at the end, after the message, would you talk to Ramon, and he'll get you squared away. He'll make sure that you understand what's going on. There's some clothes back there, and we'll do it, and we'll celebrate with you right along with everybody else. But today I want to talk about the good life, particularly the good life that's set forth in Scripture, and I want to give you secrets to living the good life. You just need a title for today. I'm calling it Secrets to Living the Good Life. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 7. Starting at verse 24, there are Bibles on the edges of the rows. You feel free to follow along in your phones or your tablets or whatever you use to read the Bible. While you get that, let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you so much for this opportunity to worship you this morning. Thank you so much, Lord, to be in the company of all these believers, Lord, as we celebrate baptism. Father, we all want to lean into the good life. Father, we want to have a wonderful understanding of what it means to follow you and to serve you and to, to take advantage of all that you offer us in Scripture. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today, that you would open our eyes to see this wonderful life that you have planned for us. Lord, would you move the preacher out of the way this morning so that your truth and light might shine through, put power on these words that you've given me to speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 7, we're going to start at verse 24. This is Jesus talking. He says, Anyone who listens to my teachings and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on a bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. So Jesus says a lot to us in these four short verses. And it might be helpful for you to understand just sort of where this short passage is situated in Scripture. Some of you recognize this chapter and verse. You know that it's in sort of the three chapters. It's at the end of the three chapters that is commonly known in Scripture as the Sermon on the Mount. And so this is a famous sermon that Jesus gives, and it's chock full of wisdom and instruction about how we're supposed to live this life. Some of them are just sort of general information, but many of these things are really hard sayings that Jesus uh, has given us, ways that he really wants us to ascend and to climb to achieve this life that he's given us. So within the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about humility. He talks about us being in light, being a witness He talks about us living righteous lives. He talks about us having mastery over our anger. He's talking to us about having a Christ-centered sexual ethic. He's talking to us about marriage and divorce, truth-telling, forgiveness, loving your enemies, generosity, having a healthy prayer life, avoiding worry, minding your own business, doing the hard, tedious work of loving others. All really, you know, joyful things that we love to talk about, right? Jesus is pressing into us. And this Sermon on the Mount covers all this stuff, gives us some of this most specific instruction as to how we're supposed to live this out. And he concludes this three-chapter Sermon on the Mount, chock full of all this stuff, with these four short verses here 
and he basically is telling us two really short parables about how to apply this stuff, about what we're supposed to do with all of this helpful instruction that he's given us. And what I see in these four verses here are four secrets to living the good life, and I want to share them with you today on Baptism Sunday um, to remind those of you who are being baptized what you're signing up for and to inform those of you who might want to be baptized today or who might want to engage this life with Jesus just what this whole life calls for. So the first secret that I see here in these four verses here is that the good life is available to anyone. The good life is available to anyone. In fact, this passage opens, anyone who does this or that is wise, right? So this is available to anyone. And so this is probably one of the best aspects of the gospel and the good news that the good life, like the real good life, is available to anyone. This is especially important, especially significant, because we live in the West, right? We're Americans, right? And as Americans, we're really used to a celebrity culture. And being used to a celebrity culture, we sort of internalize this sense that the best stuff is for the best people. The really good stuff is for the folks who are really important. Maybe they're really well-connected. Maybe those who know somebody that knows somebody that can reach up high on the top shelf while the good stuff is. But we've internalized this sense that the really good stuff is not available to just the common person, people like you and me. Maybe you don't want to be called common, but you probably are, right? And so we've internalized this sense that the good stuff is for the good folks, but the good news about the kingdom is that this good life, the best stuff, is available to anybody who would seek to go after it. It's available to anybody who would seek to go after it. It's been my experience that the best stuff in this world, I don't care about anybody telling you, the best stuff is available to everybody. The best stuff is available to everybody, and that is especially true about the kingdom of God. This good life is available to everyone. Well, you say, preacher, if it's available to everyone, I'm just running the numbers here. Why isn't, why isn't it the case that everybody takes advantage of this if it's so available to everyone, and Jesus deals with that in this passage. The variable here is, listen, there's only two types of people in the world. Either you're a wise person or you're a fool. Now, those are fighting words in some circles, right? But since we're, we're, you're keeping it real this morning, th- there's only two types of people. Either you're a wise person and you're pursuing wisdom and righteous truth, or you're doing the opposite, and the Scripture calls that a fool. We've defined wisdom around here as skill in living. A wise person is somebody who, who is skilled at living life. A wise person is somebody who's identified the most important things in life and they have forsaken everything else in order to pursue it. doesn't matter whether you're young. Uh, it doesn't matter whether you're old. You've understood what's most important in life. You've pursued that and you consistently work that in your life That is what wisdom, you're good at living life, particularly the way that God intended it. The fool, on the other hand, instead of spending his time and spending his or her energy pursuing the good life, seeking wisdom, eliminating blind spots, the the fool spends his time sort of going around the perimeter, shaking doors, looking for easy access. 
looking for maybe a window that's been left open, looking for some exception or some slick way around what God has told us to do and how God has called us to live. And as a pastor, it's really hard to see people living a foolish life because the life of a fool is hard. And some of you know that firsthand. All joking aside today, you're living a hard life And it ain't because the man is keeping you down. It's not because that boss is yours. It's not because that mouthy wife you've got. It's because you consistently make bad choices. You consistently, when you look at the scripture and you look at God's word, you consistently seek to try to find a way around what God said to do. Like like you're the slick one, the first person in history that's going to beat God's game. The architect is, who, who spoke to nothing and created everything that we see. The beginning and the end, the Alpha and Omega, who's created life and sees this thing from beginning to end. You're going to be the slick one that comes up with a way around God's system. This is the essence of what it means to be foolish. And the life of a fool is very, very hard because you can't out-slick God. There's no way around this. God says, do it this way, you do it this way, or you perish. You do it this way, or it's hard. And I got a lot of young people in here. You're never too young for this message. You you look around here, there's 60, 70-year-old folks who could tell you, listen, I've spent 50 of these years trying to find a workaround. There's no workaround. Young blood, you're 8, you're 9, you're 10. Figure this out now. You know, square this away now that you can either be wise or you can be a fool. But here's the essence of the good news today. This is the essence of this being available for everyone. doesn't matter whether you're 10, 20, 30, 40, 100. It's not too late for you. And some of you have made a royal mess of your life. And this is music to your ears today that the good life is available to everyone because what you need most today, you don't need a little more money. You don't need a different job. You might want those things. But what you need right now is a life that works. You need wisdom. You need the good life. But Jesus tells us that the good life is available to everyone. He also gives us some instruction in Scripture as to where the good life starts. Where does wisdom start? We say this over and over. Wisdom starts, Proverbs 1, 7, fearing the Lord. The beginning of wisdom, the beginning of the good life is fearing the Lord. Now, this doesn't mean like you cower in the corner, right? But this means you have reverence, fear that you, you, you give God the authority to rule and reign and to speak truth into your life and have you obey that truth. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, which leads me to my second secret. I hope you're taking notes this morning. That We said that the good life is available to everyone. The second uh, secret is that the good life is a life of obedience. It's a life of obedience. Now, you, you were just shouting a minute ago when you heard that it was available to everybody. I like this. This is good news. Tell me more of this, preacher. And then I get to the, well, one of the harder aspects of the good life is that it's a life of obedience, and now you're ready to check out on me. But stay with me, uh, because this life is really good, and you want to hear this. The life, the good life is a life of obedience. Jesus says this in verse 24, anyone who listens to my teaching, that's active listening, and follows it is wise. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. So get this picture of Jesus saying, anybody who listens to me, now this isn't that passive listening, right? You know, when you're washing the dishes and you got the TV on 
in the other room and you're just kind of listening to it. This isn't passive. Uh, instead, imagine yourself sitting cross-legged at Jesus' feet. Maybe you've got a pen and paper or maybe you're high-tech and you've got your iPad. You're taking copious notes, interrupting every once in a while to just ask a clarifying question like you're attentively listening to Jesus because you don't want to miss a word. You know that in his lips and from his heart flows the words of life such that you cannot succeed without them. And so this is active listening followed closely by what? Following it. And listening coupled with following equals obedience. And so this good life is available to everybody. Everybody doesn't take hold of it. Why? Because, well, there's obedience involved. You got to listen. Not just listen. You got to receive it. Not just receive it. You have to respond to it. You have to follow it. And so why is this hard? Why is this so hard? Well, it's hard because, well, Jesus really causes you to choose between him or some alternative sort of counterfeit version of the good life. And so, again, we're Americans, right? And we don't like, we don't, we don't want to choose. Don't, 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 make, don't, don't make me choose. You know, one of our greatest idols as a nation is options. I want to go to the store with 70 different kinds of, you know, mozzarella cheese. Now, I only like one of them, but I like the fact that if I wanted to switch it up, there's something different there for me. So, preacher, I'll come to your church, and you can talk to me about Jesus. You can talk to me about good life, but don't box me in now. Uh, don't cause me to choose. Don't take away my options. Just sort of live and let live. Jordan talked about this last week. This, listen, you do you, and I'll do me. I'll come, I'll sing, I'll amen, I'll throw a few coins in the plate, but don't you box me in. This is the opposite of what Jesus calls us to. This is the opposite of good life. Because I tell you all the time, if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have to face him. And if your face is towards something, guess what? Your back is also to something else. Your back is to something else. And if you're actively following Jesus, that means you're walking towards him. And guess what? You're walking away from the counterfeit, the alternative version of this. But we're stuck, right? Because we don't want to leave anything. Read the scripture and go, man, this is a good life. Righteousness, peace, joy, and the Holy Ghost. I want to have some of that. Jesus says, yeah, come over here and get it, but you got to let go of that. You say, I got to do what now? <laughs> now, why can't I just have this and this? And you see what this is? This is what it looks like to be stuck. And half the room today is stuck because you want to grab a hold of Jesus, but you want to keep that, that, that relationship that doesn't honor God. You want to keep whatever dishonest, dishonorable thing that you're doing with your finances. You want to be the steward of your own sexuality, and you want to be the boss of your own life. And you can't walk away from the things that are less than God's best for you. It's the definition of what it means to be stuck. And I don't have to explain this a lot because many of you know exactly what I'm talking about because today you're stuck. It's not because you haven't heard the word. It's not because God isn't a good, good father. It's because you haven't decided to put your face to one thing, Jesus, and your back to something else. You haven't chose in an effort to follow Jesus, to walk away from some other things, and your life is harder than it has to be simply because you've decided that you won't choose. You won't live a life of obedience like the fool you're waiting around maybe hoping that this costly life of obedience is going to go on sale one day. Like Jesus is going to walk into the storehouse of good lives and say, hey, we got too many of these. 
we got we to gotta clearance these. We got we to gotta lower these prices. We got to lower the bar. Listen, the good life will never, ever, ever go on sale. It'll never go on sale. It will never go on sale. You ever get any coupons in the mail for Ferrari or Maserati or Porsche? I don't know about your block, but I don't get any coupons like that. The cheap stuff goes on sale. But the quality stuff costs what it costs. Go get your pennies. Go borrow something. I don't care what you got to do. We're not putting this on sale because this is quality stuff. It costs what it costs. It costs what it costs. Same is true with this life with Jesus. It costs what it costs. But here's the good thing about a life of obedience. Everybody can afford it, right? Now, in God's economy, even the most expensive thing, everybody can afford it. Now, in our world system, we say, hey, this house is a million dollars. If you got anything less than a million dollars, you can't live in this subdivision. Sorry. This car is $200,000. This is for the elite. If you can't afford this, then, hey, you don't experience this. Well, in, in God's economy, guess what? God works in uh, 100%. Everybody can afford 100%. What does this life cost? It costs everything you got. If you got 10 cents, that's what it costs. If you got a million dollars, that's what it costs. This is how you know you're dealing with God's kingdom because, you know, all ground is level beneath the cross. And so you're ever in a church setting or a Christian setting where there's a hierarchy where, 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 where if you've got, you know, $1,000, we'll give you a really good prophetic word. And if you got $10, we'll just, we'll just pray over all of you. I'm not trying to throw shade. I'm just, I'm just trying to define what the kingdom of God is. If the poor and the broken can't get a hold of it, it's not Jesus. The hungry and the naked can't have access. It's not Jesus. If the up and outers are too up and out to receive it, it's not Jesus. Jesus says everybody can afford this because he comes after everything. This is a life of obedience. He comes after everything. Anyone who listens... And after listening follows, it is wise, and they live the good life. It's available to everybody. It's a life of obedience. Third secret to the good life is that the good life is a life of stability. It's a life of stability. It's a life of stability. And so this particular aspect of the good life will call out in a unique way to some of you here because your life this morning is everything but stable. I don't care about the nice car you drove up in. I don't care that you're wearing something nice and you're smelling good. I don't care that you got a pocket full of money, bank account full of money, all sorts of options. I don't care about that. I've done this long enough to know that I don't measure the good life by these external things. Some of you would say, my life is a mess. I'm stuck. I'm unhappy. I'm unstable in virtually every aspect of my life. And the fact that Jesus offers you a life of stability through this good life makes you lean forward in your seat because there's nothing you want more. Jesus says, anyone who listens to my teachings and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rains come in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it was built on a bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is Foolish like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. What is Jesus describing? He's describing the difference between 
somebody who's living the good life, a life of stability, and the fool who's living the counterfeit alternative. And so I just want you to take a moment and just survey your life. Real quick, it only takes a few seconds. My, my experience tells me that you don't have to really dig real deep to figure out whether or not you're living a life of stability. How are you doing today? Is your life stable or unstable? The gusts, the winds, the challenges of life come blowing through your life or your feet planted? Do you survive it? Do you weather the storm? Or does every word somebody says just knock you over? Every bit of misfortune, unfortunate circumstances, just knock you over. The enemy can just come into your life. At any moment, knows exactly what button to push. There's nothing beneath you such that you will endure it and survive. Every little thing, you know, just bowls you over. If that's the case, then you're probably not living a life of stability. So Jesus says to build your life on something stable means to build your life on me. And he says if you build your life on me, then the bad news can come and you'll mourn, you'll grieve, you'll cry, you'll eat the thing of ice cream, whatever you do when bad stuff happens, but you'll be standing when that wind is done. If on the other hand, <laughs> the winds and the waves come every time and true to form, it just sort of knocks you over and you take a month or two or three years to, to, to recover, then your feet is planted on something other than the solid rock that is Jesus. Your feet is planted on something other than the solid rock that is Jesus. Jesus says, like, you have a firm foundation if you're planted on me. But there's a challenge because, you know, when you pulled up to this building, some of you, some of you this is the first time you're here, you didn't go, man, that building sure does have a nice foundation. Well, they really put some work into that foundation. You didn't say that at all. You didn't even notice the foundation because it's completely hidden. Nobody's ever come up to you and said, man, you have a really nice skeleton. I haven't seen a skeleton like that in all my days. In fact, if somebody says that to you, you get away from them because something's not right. Right? What's my point? My point is that the foundation is hidden. The skeletal system is hidden. But it's often the case that the hidden things are the most important. And so when you're building your life, much like when you're building your house, some of us are tempted to spend all the money and all the time on the landscaping, right? The light fixtures. Because you can see that stuff. It's, it's pleasing to the eyes. And you say, well, well, just build it on anything. Don't survey the ground. Don't dig deep and pour a solid foundation. Just, 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 just make sure that we've got some nice bushes in the front. Make sure the colors are coordinated. Make sure the things that we can see are put together, and that's, that's a fool's way of doing things. Jesus says, focus on the foundation, causing us to consistently ask ourselves, what have we built our lives on? And if you studied the Sermon on the Mount, you know that Jesus has given us plenty. His teachings, his word, his truth about humility, about being a light, about being righteous, about dealing with your anger, about having a Christ-centered sexual ethic, about marriage and divorce, his teaching on all these subjects, forgiveness, generosity, all that stuff that we don't want to talk about. Jesus talks to us about it and says, if you take those things, plant them on the soil of your heart, let those teachings be a foundation by which you stand on, you will not be bowled over when the storms and the rains and the winds come, no matter what they are. 
In essence, what Jesus is calling us to do is to build our life on something that won't move, something that's going to be here tomorrow. And so we find that incredibly endearing that Jesus doesn't move on us. But it also happens to be one of the most annoying things about Jesus is that he doesn't move. Jesus, I want to move in with this guy before we get married. Would you just, would you just move that principle of yours about, you know, waiting? Uh, can you just, man, when are they going to update this Bible? It's 2016. We do things differently now. Like when's the new version going to come out that makes allowances for all these things that everybody else seems to be making allowances for? Jesus, I kind of want you to move. I want you to be stable when I want you to be stable, when I need a rock, but when I, when I need some wiggle room on this. You know, around tax time, I, you know, when the offering bucket comes around, I, I want to be generous. So would you just, would you move your st- standard? Would you just shift it just a little bit? No, but the same stability that gives you peace, the crazy situation is the same stability that keeps us holy and righteous when we want to just sort of bend to the circumstances of our life. And so what, what is this? this, this what, you know what Jesus is describing? He's describing this sort of Christian of, you know, idea of peace. Right? This is what peace is. And some of us, when we think of peace, we think about, about you know, about 68 degrees, right? Something cool, you know, right there. You've got the remote, just... Winds just slightly blowing, no trouble. That's not peace. Peace is like when things are going crazy, but you're still okay. Peace is like you're working a job that you don't like, with a boss you don't like, with coworkers you don't like, with a pay you don't like, and you still can smile and encourage others because your rock is on, you know, Jesus. Peace is like, you know, your marriage is a mess, You've got some bad news. You've been blindsided by something. And yes, you're sad. Yes, you're grieving. Yes, you're going through the proper steps. But it doesn't take you out. That's peace. Peace is when you go to the doctor and they tell you devastating news, a devastating diagnosis, and you're sad. You get the prayer warriors together, but, but you're still standing. That's, that's peace. And the only way you get that peace is living the good life. The only way you live the good life is when you set your feet on Jesus. You dispatch his word and his truth into your life and let it take root. And some of you long for this kind of stability, to set your feet on something that's not going anywhere for a while. Because if you're honest, you never had this in your whole life. Some of you, if you're honest, you've never had real stability in your life. You love your parents dearly, but they were a mess. No, they were a mess. And your narrative with them is, you know, full of divorce and different people coming in and out of your life, moving all the time, not having anybody that you can trust. Some of you have experienced unspeakable abuse at the hands of people who were supposed to care for you. And so as a result of having such a poor start in life and having such a poor example from the people who are supposed to make life safe for you and make, you know, this place, you know, establish some, some really foundational things early in life, your life has started out a mess. And so there's no reason, you know, no, there's no, you know, mystery about why things are a mess for you right now. Life has been marked by changing schools and changing majors all the time. Anything that glitters and distracts you, you've just, 
you just go after it. Switch churches. I mean, can't find a church. Every church is crazy, right? Every, you know, nobody's doing what you want them to do. You've had 12 jobs in the last 12 days. And, you know, you're living an unstable life. You, you know, you're on your fourth, fifth marriage. Again, I'm not trying to clown anybody today. I'm not trying to, you know, pick you out of the crowd. What I'm trying to highlight is the fact that these are the symptoms of an unstable life. Now, the fool in this circumstance is even though they are the variable, right? In all of these situations, in all of this dysfunction, the fool seeks to point to any and everything else about what's wrong. No, it seems that you, you're the variable. So he says, stable life, give me that. What do I need to do to be a stable person, a stable parent, a stable spouse, a stable child, a stable employer, a stable employee, a stable friend, a stable pastor, a stable leader? The list goes on and on. What do I have to do in order to do that? Jesus says, the wise, listen and follow me. Jesus says, the wise live the good life because the wise are stable even when everything else is falling apart. The good life is a life of stability. The good life is available to everyone. Good life is a life of obedience. The good life is a life of stability. But you said, preacher, can you talk to me just a little bit? You mentioned winds and rains and torrents. Don't don't scurry past those things because I need to deal with that because I am dealing with that in my life. Fourth secret, the good life budgets for trouble. The good life budgets for trouble. It expects it. It looks for it. It accounts for the possibility, you no, know, the likelihood of it in the building of a life. And so what I think one of the worst and most tragic things about the modern gospel, the modern presentation of it, is it's managed to extract all of the bad things out of this Christian life. And I personally think we would have more people come to faith and stay in the faith if we just told them that in this life there will be trouble. If we just told them, hey, if you're doing this right, like if you're doing this life right, you're going to have people at odds with you. If you're doing this life right, the devil's going to throw everything in hell at you. If you're doing, don't, don't come in here unless you're prepared to make, to make some changes. And don't come in here unless you're ready to deal with some trouble. And I don't want to scare you away, but I, I want to help you make an informed decision as to whether or not you can follow Jesus and stick with it. There's going to be trouble involved. And so any gospel presentation that doesn't warn you about the fact that trouble will come in this life, particularly if you decide to do this thing right, isn't the truth about who God is. Anyone who listens to my teachings and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock, though the rains come, torrents and floodwaters rise, beat against that house, it won't collapse. Now, he didn't say, hey, if you're unlucky enough to experience a little bit of trouble, right? If you're one of the unfortunate ones, if you're the anomaly, no. He says, when they come, though they come, this will come. And so the good thing about this, man, is this is the only real way that you know if you have a life that works, if it will stand up to the elements. And so advertisers have picked up on this. You see car commercials and there's car like crashing into a thing. 
I'm like, you're trying to sell this car, right? Like, why are you showing me the car crashing? They show a car swerving, like, through, you know, this obstacle course, and right? They show the pot, you know, they're trying to sell you a pot, and they're scraping it. I'm like, don't do that to the pot. What are they trying to show you? We tested this thing. When, when people crash in this car, they don't generally die. When we swerve at high rates of speed, you know, the car stays upright. When I scrape this pan and I throw it in the oven and I throw it in this furnace, guess what? When I pull it out, it still looks like new. Why? Because this works. We put this thing through its paces. And so the trouble that you experience in your life, this trouble that you're supposed to expect and budget for and account for, it's not like, you know, God like crashing down on you, right? It's one of the greatest indications that we're living a life that works because a life that works can stand up to a little bit of trouble. Stand up to a little bit of trouble. Dr. King says that, uh, you know, the true measure of a man isn't determined when things are going well, right? The real measure of a person is determined how he responds, how she responds during challenges and controversy. And so some of you, as you survey your life right now, you say, am I living the good life? You need only ask if your life holds up to the elements. Have you budgeted for the elements? Because if you budget for the elements, that budgeting for the elements, that budgeting for pain and unfortunate situations, it actually informs what type of structure you build. I'll say that again. If you're properly budgeting for the pain and the winds and the rains and the torrents, it's going to make you build a certain type of house on a certain type of foundation. Like if you live in a place where there's tornadoes, like you better build with a certain, you know, certain type of materials, right? And so budgeting for this not only prepares us to receive this, but it makes us informed about what we need to build our house with. And so if you know the winds and the rains are going to come in your life, then you're going to want to build a marriage that lasts. And it might make you be a little more selective about who you snuggle up with. You know you're going to experience some pain. You know that the enemy hates marriage and it's his job to try to break yours up. You better find yourself a winner. You better stop looking at his portfolio and just start seeing if he's an honest dude that loves the Lord, a history and track record of faithfulness to God and others because the storms will come. The rains will come, right? You know they're going to be tested and life's going to throw everything at you, then you better be building within you a, a, a Christ-centered sexual ethic because you know that this world we live in, really, if you're not, if you're not built to last, you're likely to crumble, you like to give yourself to things that are less than God's best for you as it relates to your body. You better build something that's going to last. You know this world that we're living in is hard on our children. And it's chewing them up and spitting them out. Then you better build some kids that's going to make it. Come on. You better pay attention to what they're watching on TV and what they're listening to. You better have their behind in this church, whether they want to come or not, or some other church. You don't have to be here. Just take them somewhere where they're going to preach the gospel and some folks are going to get in their life and help them weather the storms of life. I know what type of world that I'm living in, and so I've got to build it to last. 
the good life, budgets, budgets for trouble because it's coming. Jesus says that in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so to build your life on Jesus means that it won't take you out. Yeah, you might have to get chemo, but it won't, it won't take away your foundation in Jesus. Yes, it might actually take your life. But there's more to this life than this life. And so Paul says even when we grieve, we, we grieve as those who know that there's something on the other end of this thing, Right? So nothing can take away our life with Jesus. And those who know that live the good life. Let me put this all together. Worship team, you can come up. You said earlier that the, li- the good life is a life for everyone. And see, if you're here today, some of you are here today and that's news to you. Some of you are a kid and you didn't know that this good life is for you. You thought maybe that's grown-up stuff. I don't care what age you are. If you can understand what Jesus is talking about. This life is for you. This life is for you. And up until this point, some of you have lived very foolish lives. Up until this very moment where you're in church, like the only time you've taken a break recently was to come to church and maybe see somebody get baptized. But the Lord knew you'd be here today. And he wanted you to hear that this good life is a life that you can have access to if you want it. You say, what it mean, does it mean to one? I said the good life is a life of obedience. So like Jesus has a prescribed way that we're supposed to live this thing out. It's costly, but you can afford it. <laughs> as long as you're willing to lay down everything. And listen, you've tried everything, right? I mean, you, you've tried virtually everything. And how'd that work out for you? How'd it work out for you? I'll let you ponder that as you consider that the good life is a life of obedience. I said that the good life is a life of stability, and someone said, I need it. I'll try whatever I can to just set my feet and set my marriage and set my kids on something that's not going anywhere for a while. I, I want to try that. And so you also desperately want a good life that budgets for trouble, that accounts for it, that's made provisions for it, that has built a, built a life accordingly. And so you want to take advantage of that. This, friends, is what those who are being baptized today They've understood, and this is what they're signing up for. And so this is, listen, this is, no, this is a tall order. This is a really tall order. This, no chumps are doing this, okay? No chumps doing this. I mean, you do this for real. This is the hardest thing you'll ever do in your life. It's also the most rewarding thing that you'll ever do in your life. And so we're celebrating today. Like I said earlier, if you're here today and you say, man, I'm ready. I want to do that. I want the good life. I've been living for myself all these years, and it hasn't been working out. I want to surrender my life to Jesus, or I want to re-surrender my life to Jesus. If that is you, we welcome you into the family of faith today, and we welcome you also to be baptized with those who are being baptized. We have extra clothes, something that will fit you, um, and a towel for you, and we, we can do this thing, all right? So here's how this is going to work. Our baptism candidates, we're going to continue with worship right now, but our baptism candidates, again, Ramon, would you raise your hand? Ramon's going to show you where the dressing rooms are. You can go right through this door and change. If you want to be baptized today, you'll also see Ramon. He'll be waiting over here, and he'll check you out, and we'll get this taken care of, right? So before we do all this, let me just pray, um, and then we'll take an offering, and we'll get this thing rolling.
So, Lord, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the good life. Lord, we thank you that all we have to do in order to receive it is be willing to follow you, to be willing to pay what it costs. And so, Jesus, we celebrate today with those who have said yes to you and want to go public with that. We, we celebrate with them. But, Lord, we also ask that you would just nudge those in the audience that are feeling, feeling tugged in your direction. We ask, Lord, that you would just continue to call those who you're calling this morning. Lord, we're tired of the games. We're tired of the lies. We're tired of time, trying to be slick and find a way around this, Lord. We, we're ready now to do things your way. And so, Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit will rest on each and every one of these folks. Lord, as we worship you, Father, I pray that your spirit would fall in this place and you would move hearts towards you. We thank you in advance for all you're going to pour out today. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.